Welcome to Sloanies Talking with Sloanies, a candid conversation with alumni and faculty about the MIT Sloan experience and how it influences what they're doing today. So, what does it mean to be a Sloanie? Over the course of this podcast, you'll hear from guests who are making a difference in their community, including our own very important one here at Sloan. I'm your host, Christopher Reichert. Welcome to uh, Sloanies Talking to Sloanies about Ideas That Matter. I'm Christopher Reichert. And I'm Stephanie O'Dear. And welcome everyone to the 10th in our series. So Stephanie, tell us um, tell us where you work and tell us about the last few years of your life. Yeah, so I'm currently in Kansas City, Missouri, and I work for Empower Retirement. I'm Vice President of Government Markets. So, you know, years ago, Willie Sutton was asked, why did he rob banks? He said, well, that's what the money is. <laughs> Is that sort of part of why what you know you're targeting Empower targets the the government market? Um, no, I would say we have a segment called the government market, but overall we're the second largest record keeper in the country. And I didn't mean that you guys rob. Yeah, so. right. Thank you for that nod. But we uh, we do retirement plan record keeping for companies, corporate and public sector. And that's so you take over that onerous task for on behalf of the government clients. That's or, right. So plan sponsors who have. 401ks, 457s, 403bs. Right. Uh, we do all the administration, communication, marketing, and then we're broken into segments. So the government segment is one that we serve exceptionally well. And so you're a vice president of sales strategy. Is that right? Or is that, um, no, that's a previous one, is it? That's a previous role that I held at J.P. Morgan. And for about a year now, I've been in the vice president government markets role. So I oversee a team of relationship managers, mm-hmm. but I also participate in business strategy, business development. I would say overall thought leadership and then coaching and training my team. And what year did you graduate from Sloan? So 2017. I was part of the executive MBA. So two years. Yeah. yeah. In fact, you just, yeah, for the reunion, I guess you saw. Are, are there still a lot of people who come back for that? Well, not the two year, but the one year we had a great showing and it was an awesome thing to see everybody and how tell me about that program is it it's a two-year program it was a two-year program about every two to three weeks we assemble for friday and saturday full days in person in person there's no online i got that question a lot you know did you do this online nope i got on a plane every two to three weeks and and you came here to to cambridge to cambridge and um, stayed at the marriott cambridge and i have to say though i loved being a commuter if you will because i I think my classmates who were here in are considered locals always struggled with being pulled right if they had a family commitment or something else but being from out of town when you were on campus you were fully immersed in the experience and so that was a, a weekend you said like a friday to a late a sunday and saturday yeah right. deal and full-time classes um the entire time and just an incredible experience and so in between how did you manage the the study load yeah, and it the... was quite i in fact i wonder today what i did with all that time <laughs> where did it go now that i've graduated right, right? it's just very vaporized. I I think, first of all, having a supportive company. My company was very excited for me to pursue this. I was self-funded, but um, they did give me my vacation time off. That's good. And uh, so they were very supportive, and I think that helped. But in addition, I had a a great family network of support. Um, They're all in Kansas City. I have three kids. Mm -hmm. They're a bit older, but they were wonderfully excited for me. So they understood what was happening. They did. They got it, and I felt like I was setting a good example about lifelong learning and bettering yourself, and this had been a dream of mine for a long time. Yeah, and you mentioned that you were out of the workforce for, what, 10 years or so? 10 years. So I was a stay-at-home mom for 10 years. 
years when my kids were first coming along. Right. And that was quite an adventure in and of itself. But, you know, the, as I said, this was really a dream of mine. And I don't even want to ascribe it to being a bucket list item. It was more than that. I wanted to do something that would not only jumpstart my career, but help me leapfrog ahead of my peers. Yeah. I just felt like having an MBA would do that, but then when I had the audacity of thinking I could get one from MIT, I thought, wow, if I can make this happen, I'm going to find a way. And how did you choose Sloan? What were the sort of factors? So I was accepted to another program that was um, more regional, shall we say, to Kansas City, uh, Washington University specifically. And I just, at the same time, was exploring Sloan. And I saw that they had an outstanding executive MBA program. It fit the parameters of what I was looking for, the time frame fit the way the classes were structured, you know, were very attractive to me. So once I got accepted here, it was not a hard decision. Right, yeah. So how many classmates do you keep in touch with? Do you, you know, we're on the alumni board together. We are on the alumni board together, which I thoroughly enjoy. A couple classmates there who I um, get to see when we convene. This is our, this is your third year, right? Going into third year. We started together. Yes. Yep. And I'll be leading one of the um, committees this year, so I'm excited about that. Which one are you leading? I am going to lead the one that aligns with the Executive MBA program. Oh, of course. So that makes sense. it's yeah. really going to be great to work with Joe and her team on some accomplishments there. I would say I don't stay in, in as close a touch as I would like to. Being in Kansas City, there's not a huge draw to mm. this area. So I'm kind of an island in some ways. And so I really do have to work at staying connected. Like I'm, I'm here in town for work, but mm-hmm. I'm going to have breakfast with a classmate in the morning. And I have some chat groups that we keep going. And occasionally I'll lob a phone call to somebody randomly. And Yeah, it is. It is difficult. In fact, I mean... Uh, so after this, I'm having drinks with one of my classmates yeah. who's in town. Like, I haven't seen for a while. So it's one of those things you fit in, right? You do. If it's a priority, right? I think it's that whole adage, you make time for your priorities. I noticed you also went to Kellogg School. I did executive education at Kellogg and sales management a few years ago. And that was probably my first taste, my first dabble of what you could do as an adult learner. Is that, was that the, when did you come out of, of um, you know, stay at home? Um, that was about 10 years ago, so I would say close to 2008, 2009. And I see you were, uh, you wrote a monthly column. I did. What was I that wrote, about? Was Spaces that, Magazine. You know, I interviewed uh, somebody from uh, Blue Origin, but is this the same? Was this... No, no, different. <laughs> Not that space, different. but... This was a regional magazine um, based in Kansas City. It was published by the Kansas City Star, and I did that for five years. I wrote a monthly column around style and personal brand issues. It dabbled in some fashion. And, mm-hmm. and things like that but it was really fun and that's a topic close to your heart yeah it's probably you know my hobby everybody has a hobby it's probably where i like to spend right. extra time dabbling in and what about the cosmopolitan group yeah so i represented a clothing line um many years ago for five years it was based out of new york and um, that was really a great entree back into the working world. It was kind of, it was, it was out of my home. Um, I was super successful. I was one of the top salespeople in the country. Top 3%, I see. Yes. Great. Yes. So that was really, um, I think, my first chance to prove myself in some business context. And uh, that was a great way to parlay into really stepping back into what I would call an office environment. And that was... Um... 
so I guess there's a sales component, obviously a huge sales component. Were you yeah. selling to, to direct stores? To oh, direct yeah. to consumers. Yeah, okay. I, I, I like to say I, I dress the best of Kansas City. So. <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> and I see here you were the uh, circle president for Lyric Opera. We talked about your, your yes. singing background. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, I actually went to undergraduate at University of Missouri, degree in journalism. Um, which it's well known for, and uh, went on a vocal scholarship. So uh, that was an interesting foray into college. And then a semester in, I realized I didn't want to major in it, but I was right. able to keep my scholarship by participating in the choirs and doing solo performances. And That's excellent. Yeah, we, uh, we, I, I threatened to sing some Elvis if you would sing, but I, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't take me up on that. that. <laughs> I used to sing in a choir as well, so I had, it's like it's interesting. So you have a creative side, so the, mm -hmm. the artistic singing, the writing side of it, mm -hmm. um, and now you're working in retirement um, solutions. Did you? How did you pick that path? It, 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 I mean, did you? It kind of picked me, you know. Yeah. I and I was in a job um, being vice president of strategic communications and business development at a different company in Kansas City, and I saw an opportunity at J.P. Morgan that was to oversee strategic communications for a team. And although I didn't know the industry and it was my first foray into financial services, I knew about marketing and journalism and advertising and communications in general and sales. Mm -hmm. And so um, I took a huge leap of faith and I made one phone call to somebody I knew who worked there and, and got the interview and 11 interviews later, wow. I got the job. So <laughs> That's grueling. Yeah, and then it, it you know J.P. Morgan taught me a ton. I loved working for them and they sold off that line of business to Empower. So continuously, I've been there eight years. So was that that was in Kansas City? Uh huh. J.P. Morgan's office there. Yes, that's great. And how did you? Are you from that area originally? I am from Kansas City. All yes, right. Yes, raised um, there. Went to public schools and then University of Missouri for undergrad. So. Oh, excellent. Yeah. So is there um, a favorite Sloan memory that you have? Mm. Probably. But maybe it's a professor, maybe it was a class, maybe it was a classmate, maybe it was... Yeah, Nelson Repenning is hard to beat as, as a person who sticks out um, for his impact. You know, what problem are you trying to solve mm -hmm. is probably the question that I am now known for asking rings. <laughs> on conference calls, yes, and other things. It's just such a pertinent um, question to kind of level the conversation. Um it also gives pause frequently. I would say my other favorite memories are of the group projects. You know, we had many occasions to team up, mm -hmm. and the diversity of those teams was just amazing. And I always learned more from my colleagues and my peers than I felt like I brought to the table. Right. Um, and presenting for Idea Week, and uh, we were finalists. In, Excellent. In that, and that was super exciting. And I got the the privilege, if you will, or the curse of being the <laughs> presenter. So, um, you know, standing in front of your colleagues, standing in front of other venture capitalists, and that panel, I remember having that adrenaline rush where right. the papers were almost shaking. You know, and and I'm a seasoned presenter, but it is the caliber of people that right. you're in front of that just sort of humbles you very quickly and i of course wanted to represent the team well and and we did well so yeah that can be that can be definitely stressful is there a do-over that you think about think about a class you should have taken or should not have taken well not the not uh, well yeah a do-over um you know accounting would be one that i i did well in but i didn't do as well as i could have and i remember having 
um, a conversation with that professor, and I said, gosh, what could I have done? And he said, we graded on a curve. There was really nothing you could have done. So <laughs> I was, you know, and put in my place on that. But, um, you know, I don't, I honestly don't feel like there's a do-over. It was such a rich experience. And I, like I said, being here as a commuter, I really embraced every moment of it. And um, I never missed a weekend. Um, literally through all the bad weather in Boston and, and other challenges with travel, um, I can honestly say I, I didn't miss a single class, and I'm very proud of that. And so, when you would you have classes on Friday night late, and then all day Saturday, and all then, day Friday, all day. So you'd arrive all Thursday. Day Saturday, I would come. I would travel on Thursdays, class all day Friday, class all day Saturday, and then I would leave Sunday morning. Full of homework and yeah, and I you know reading case studies on the plane and um, doing my pre-reading in between um, the weeks that we were here, and then just building. I mean, my evenings were I'd work out and then I'd do my homework, and that was just the drill. And it's I think once you get acclimated to that kind of routine, mm-hmm. it's not so much of an interruption. It's just what you do, right. and because you do it for a two-year time period, it's normalized. And was there, during the summer, did you have a break or did you go continuously, no, continuously through? So that's like kind yeah. of pack it in. That's how they get it all in. Right. So do you have any advice for people who are considering the different programs that Sloan offers? Like how would they? Uh... I would say if you are, what would, you know, I think um, the admissions office talks about mid-career professional, you know, is, is ideal for the executive MBA. But I would say even if you're looking to change careers, jumpstart your career, like me, you know, mm-hmm. I spent a decade taking care of three kids. <laughs> um, right. I don't think there's anybody that shouldn't consider MIT. Now, it is rigorous. I will not kid you. It was not a cakewalk. Um, but I think if you have the will, this is a school that can support your dreams and your goals. And for me, it not only gave me you know tools that I actually use on a day-to-day basis, but it gave me a network of friends that I'll have for the rest of my life. That's excellent. Did you, um, did what, I mean, what compels you to stay engaged with Sloan? So you're on the alumni board yeah. along with me. I couldn't give it up. Right. <laughs> it gets in your blood. And I was just at a point where I said, I, I can't not have a contact with Sloan for a longer period of time than that. And uh, so right. the alumni board opportunity presented itself and I was like, absolutely, if you'll have me, I could, you know, can't wait to serve. Right, yeah, no, I feel the same way when I got the call. So what's your definition of success? I mean, you've done you've done sales for for uh, for clothing, you've done writing for a, for a magazine, um, and now you're doing retirement. So yeah. what, what's, in all of those things, how do you kind of measure whether you feel successful or not? or? You know, I talk to I talk to my team sometimes about, you know, how did you spend your day or how do you define success? And one of the things I coach them around is were you at your highest and best use? Have you reached your potential? Have you tapped your potential? Are you are you, do you even understand your capabilities? It doesn't mean you're gonna, you know, use them every day in every way, mm-hmm. but are you aware of the array of possibilities, I guess, is how I think about it. And um, I've been fortunate. I, I have done a wide variety of things. I have an interesting history to date. And, um, Absolutely. you know, I've been able to pivot. And I, I remember I had a classmate who did a presentation about he was a pivoteer. And I always thought that was a great title. <laughs> Sounds right? like a mouseketeer. It does, <laughs> yeah, or a pirate of some right, uh, buccaneer. Right. A buccaneer. But he was a pivoteer. And I thought, you know, I, I relate to that. Um, so my definition of success, I think, is, is really have I actualized the things that matter to me? Do I have good relationships with my family? 
Do I have a good corporate brand? Do I feel that my um, work has purpose and meaning? And I have to say helping people save for retirement, you know, helping companies run those plans, that gives me a great sense of purpose. Um, and I think uh, as I look back, my definition of success has absolutely been winning from time to time, but also learning from the losses. So, so I'm curious, like, and asking for a friend here, how much should we save for retirement? <laughs> that depends, and I can't give you specific <laughs> advice about that. But what we typically recommend is somebody who's 40 or older saves between 10 and 15% of their salary. Oh, the salary. And is there a dollar figure that you that you try to get people to shoot for in terms of when you hit 65 on, or something? Yeah, it depends on when you want. There's so many factors. It depends on when you want to retire. It depends on the kind of lifestyle you want to have. Mm-hmm. It depends on where you're going to live. Right. It depends on your health care costs. Um, you know, all those things factor in. And, and we have some great tools and resources at Empower that help people come to that right number. Um, yeah. But we think of it as a metric of income replacement. Right. How much income do you need um, in retirement and on a monthly basis? Mm-hmm. So, because people think of their bills in terms of monthly payments. Right. Well, it's a stressful topic, that's for sure. Yeah. Right. It is. So, how do you how do you get people to engage in it? Um, you know, it's not easy to get people to engage about retirement because it seems so far off. But you right. know, when I talk to people my age, they're like, oh, it's not that far off anymore." <laughs> you know, and and the the um, I hate to see people in acts of desperation at that time because they're either taking a huge pay cut to save for retirement in a tax-deferred program, or um, they will work a lot longer than they want to, mm-hmm. and that's not optimal either. So starting early, you know, I think getting people to understand the value of a dollar, you know, and how that compounds over time, and right. even you know, de-risking your portfolio, all of that good stuff, um, it absolutely goes to the bottom line of what is going to be your definition of happiness and retirement. And it's it's not always about the money. You know, we see people sometimes who retire and stay mentally. They have higher um, workers' compensation claims, health care costs. They're mm-hmm. less productive. They're a huge cost to the employer. Right. So you, I, I think as an employer, you want to create a retirement plan that best optimizes somebody's chance to retire with dignity. Right. So my youngest daughter is eight. Is it too soon? Should I set up a 401k? Yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. Set up some kind of set. 529. 529. Yeah. All right. One of the all of all of the above. Right. Right. So I want to close on um, a story that you told us about. You were a top ten finisher in uh, Miss America. For Miss Missouri, so tell That's us tell right. us about that process. Yeah, that was an exciting time in my life. I was Miss Missouri in 1992, and I did make the top ten at Miss America. Um, my talent was singing, um, and it was an incredible experience. You know, I traveled the state 35,000 miles in one year. Wow! Um, did appearances of all kinds, sang for um, George Bush the first. Um, uh, at Special Olympics, um, did speeches all over the state, did a whole bunch of events, and just really got to also sit in a Hardee's and sign autographs in the smallest <laughs> town. Like, I That's was great. the biggest thing That's awesome. that came to the town all That's year, great. you know? And, and so it, it gave me a real sense of perspective because, again, I met this wide range of people, and humanity and and just everybody has a struggle but then you'd meet the little girl who had dreams like I used to have about you know what I could accomplish and you just learn to relate to a a really wide range of um, individuals and then you also get the fun of the glamour and, and on stage but the real work happens you know on the road 
That's excellent. I've always been curious about the sort of feeder system, regional, local, county. I'm not, you yeah, know, you then, start at the local level, then you go to the state, and then you have nationals in nationals. America. And that's competitive the whole way through. It is very competitive. I mean, and I, I was not a pageant girl at all. I mean, I focused on the individual components. I was tried, I was a good interviewer. Mm-hmm. Um, I had done modeling for 20 years. I had... Um, so I was used to a stage and, and modeling clothes, and then um, my singing work that I had done, it all kind of com- you know, came together in this opportunity, right. and it was great scholarship money. Absolutely. So yeah. I, was, I was in the pageant system for three years only, um, mm-hmm. and then had, had the success I had. And some people stay longer, or is it? Oh, there are some people who had been in it, you know, from the minute they were 18 until they aged out at the ripe old age of 23. You is know? that right? Oh, yeah. Five-year window, huh? Yeah, so it was, um, I guess it was 25 now that I say that. I was 23 when right. I won, so. That's great. So what's next for you? What uh, You've been in power for, for a few years now. Were yeah. you uh, you what know, do you see with your team or the company? Or I, I love my company. They are um, a great company. It's about 6,000 employees strong, headquartered in Denver, but we have um, about 700 employees in Kansas City, and I'm actually the site leader for the Kansas City office. So um, having been in this job for just a year, I, I just kind of want to continue to be in that learning mode and, and apply um, the value that I can and, and continue to collaborate with my colleagues and peers. Um, but I would say, you know, I, I'm ambitious. I have um, aspirations to continue to be successful, to do more. Um, I would love to do that at Empower, but, you know, I also have had the um, probably closet fantasy of being a consultant, that awful word, you know, right. of working for one of the well-known firms. And, right, yeah. and we'll just see if what I have to offer is interesting and if the timing's right. But I really love what I do today. And I uh, love the people I get to do it with. That's excellent. Well, thank you very much to Stephanie O'Dear for joining us for Sloney's Talking to Sloney's about ideas that matter. Yeah, thanks for having me. What a pleasure. Sloney's Talking with Sloney's is produced by the Office of External Relations at MIT Sloan School of Management. You can subscribe to this podcast by visiting our website, mitsloan.mit.edu slash alumni, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Support for this podcast comes in part from the Sloan Annual Fund, which provides essential, flexible funding to ensure that our community can pursue excellence. Make your gift today by visiting giving.mit.edu slash Sloan.